This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. I have two parts for you on today's episode, which is brought to you by Betstamp the world's first verified buy-sell marketplace for sports betting picks. In part one, I'll review our draw against Lecce on Wednesday, and in part two, I'll be joined by a guest to preview our big match against Lazio on Saturday. So let's begin with the Lecce match. As you know, the match finished 1-1 on goals from Eli Felmas and Lorenzo Colombo, This was our second consecutive draw after winning our first two matches of the season. In those first two matches, we scored a total of nine goals, while in the last two, we've scored a total of just one goal. As I tweeted, the draw against a tough Fiorentina squad at the Frankie was understandable, but a draw against a newly promoted Lecce at the Maradona was not. It was a match where Luciano Spalletti made six changes to his starting 11, including starting two players who have only been with the team for about two weeks, and he just might have outcoached himself. In a span of six minutes, Alex Meret regained some credibility by stopping a penalty, Eli Felmas scored his first of the season, and Lorenzo Colombo scored his first ever in Serie A. Spalletti then reverted back to what worked in the first two matches, and we still did not score, so maybe the points dropped are on the players too and not just on the coach. We'll cover all of that in this review, and we'll revisit our three keys to the match, but first, let's review the starting lineups. As I said, Luciano Spalletti made six changes to the squad that he fielded against Fiorentina at the weekend. As expected, he lined up in a 4-2-3-1 formation with Alex Meret in goal. 
I was expecting Juan Jesus to start over Kim Min Jae at center back. Instead, Leo Ostegaard started over Amir Rachmani. Matthias Oliveira started over Mario Rui at left back, while Giovanni Di Lorenzo started again at right back. In the midfield, I was expecting Stanislav Lobotka to play in the double pivot with Tangi and Dombele. Instead, Andre Frank Zambo and Gisa started with Ndombele in the pivot. We played a front four of Elif Elmas, Giacomo Raspadori, Matteo Politano, and Victor Osiman. The only change that caught me off guard there was Elmas on the left wing, but the rest were as expected. For Lecce, Marco Baroni also made six changes to the squad that he fielded against Empoli. He lined up in his usual 4-3-3 formation with Vladimiro Falcone in goal. Alessandro Tuya started over Marin Pongracic at centre-back alongside Federico Baschirotto. Herman Petzella started over Antonio Gallo at left-back and Valentin Gendry started at right-back. Morten Hillman started as the Regista with Johan Helgesen to his left and Christopher Eskilsen to his right. Helgesen and Eskilsen started over Johan Gonzalez and Christian Bistrovic respectively. Up top, Lamek Banda started on the left wing and Federico Di Francesco started over Gabriel Strefezza on the right wing. And finally, Lorenzo Colombo started over Asan Cisse at striker. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's revisit our three keys to the match. My first key to the match was that we should not underestimate Lecce's attack. Now, I was expecting a front three of Banda, Cisse, and Strefezza, whereas Carboni went with a front three of Banda, Colombo, and Di Francesco. Now, I suppose you could say that we underestimated Lecce just based on how much we rotated the squad. I'll come back to Spalletti's decisions a bit later because I have plenty to say about that, but I'm going to call this one a push. I think defensively we were very solid. Kim Min Jae has done an admirable job filling in for Koulibaly. I've been really impressed with his play. I thought Leo Ostegaard had an excellent debut as well. I said in a previous episode that he could become the third center back by December. Judging by Spalletti's starting 11, it seems like Ostegaard is already the third choice option ahead of Juan Jesus. Although Ostegaard may be the backup center right and Juan Jesus may be the backup center left. I was a little bit concerned when Ostegaard appeared to get hurt in the second half, but he played through it and he played very well. It's too bad he didn't score with that shot from about 40 yards out, because if he did, I can only imagine the scene at what was a very strong crowd at the Maradona. One thing we learned about Ostegaard in the preseason is that he has an excellent vertical leap, and we saw that on display in this match as well. Sticking with the back line, I also thought Matthias Oliveira played well in his debut. He looked completely gassed by the end of the match, and I think if we had a lead, Spalletti would have brought on Mario Rui to replace him, but because we needed to score, the substitutions were used to try to stimulate the attack. So with that quality in defense, you could say that we did not underestimate the Lecce attack. However, the choices in the midfield did not work out so well. I was very surprised that Spalletti started Anguissa after he played the full 90 minutes in what was a very intense match against Fiorentina. He looked very tired by the end of this match as well, but he didn't come off until the final 5 minutes. Ndombele was probably our worst player in the match, so it might have been naive to think that he would be ready so quickly. He just seemed to be a step behind, including when he fouled Di Francesco to concede the penalty. Now, I'm obviously biased, but I struggled to see the contact on that play, even after seeing multiple angles of the replay. 
Thankfully, the penalty was stopped by the guy who many Napoli fans think will be the reason we won't win the Scudetto. I actually think we got a little bit of help from match official Matteo Marcenaro on the penalty kick. He sort of froze Colombo on the first attempt. Marcenaro waited a long time to blow his whistle and Colombo went too soon, which is why it had to be retaken. Colombo said after the match that he thought he heard the whistle, but it must have been a whistle from the crowd. Now, that might have been a huge moment for Alex Meret in terms of his confidence. I loved the way his teammates reacted after the save as well. Colombo did atone for his error though with that wonder strike in the 31st minute. Again, I think our midfield let us down somewhat on that play. The play started with Ostegaard clearing the cross from Gendry, Hillmond won the header over Raspadori, and then Colombo scored with that beautiful finish. As great as that shot was, with no run-up no less, I thought we gave Colombo far too much time on the ball, Ndombele was slow to react and Kim was caught watching the play a little bit, and that's something that we know Colombo is capable of doing. It was his first Serie A goal, but he scored a similar goal, actually a more difficult one, with a volley for Spal in Serie B last season. After the match, Colombo dedicated the goal to Milan. Colombo is a product of the Milan youth system, and they still own him. He's currently on loan at Lecce, so that was his way of contributing for Milan by scoring against a direct rival. The last thing I'll say about the Lecce attack was that I was really impressed with the play of Lamek Banda on Lecce's left wing. He was giving Di Lorenzo and Anguisa all kinds of problems on that side of the pitch. He was forced to leave the match in the 75th minute due to injury, but hopefully it's not too serious. My second key to the match was that we needed to score early and often, and we did not achieve this goal. We scored early enough with the Elmas goal, but we certainly did not score often. Looking back at this match, I think the 5-10 to 10 minute period immediately following the Elmas goal was a critical part of the match. If we don't concede that goal to Colombo, then Lecce would have had to take a little bit more risk getting forward to find the equalizer. That would have opened up the game and then suddenly there would have been a lot more space on the field and a player like Victor Osimhen would have been exponentially more dangerous. Instead, we conceded that equalizer and because a draw would be a fantastic result for Lecce, they simply closed up shop. They defended with 10 men behind the ball and that had the opposite effect. There was very little space to work with, even after we reverted back to the 4-3-3. Lecce made it very difficult for us to find an opening, which is also something that Spalletti noted after the match. Now the reason I wanted us to score early and often was because I was hoping we could rest even more of our regular starters. Instead, we had to bring on Lobotka, Zielinski, Cavara, and Lozano, so this goal was definitely not achieved. My final key to the match was given the injuries Lecce had at center back, we needed to cross the ball to Victor. We definitely failed to do that one as well. One of the most frustrating things for me in this match was how poor we were on the final ball. Whether it was Di Lorenzo, Politano, Cavara, Lozano, the delivery of the final ball was really poor. Time and time again, we either didn't get the cross off or we played it too close to Falcone and he ate it up. By my count, we only played one decent cross to Victor all match, and that was the cross to the second post where Victor missed the header. Now, he might have been better off leaving that ball for Cavada, but I fully expect a striker to go for a goal on a play like that. 
We also had six corner kicks in this match. The first four were played short, and though we played the cross on the final two, the delivery was poor from Zelinski. That's incredibly frustrating when you have guys like Osimen and Kim in the area, and for a second consecutive match, Kavada was rather ineffective. He has plenty of time to learn, but he needs to get rid of the ball quicker. There were a couple of occasions where he could have passed right away, but instead he took far too many extra touches and turned the ball over. That's partly why I got really frustrated when I saw people saying that Victor needs to do more. Victor is the type of player that needs service to succeed. He may drop deeper occasionally to win the ball in the air, but he is not a 9.5 who can drop deep to collect the ball and take on defenders to create something out of nothing. He's good in space, and he's good in the air, but in either case, he needs service. So we pushed on one key and we failed on the other two, so the draw was probably a fair result. Okay, the last thing I want to talk about is Luciano Spalletti's squad choice for this match. Spalletti was heavily criticized for the decisions he made, and rightly so, ultimately he must own them. The general consensus seems to be that he changed a little bit too much all at once, and again, it's hard to argue with that. But I want to talk through some of the logic a little bit because I think Spalletti took a calculated risk and it just didn't pan out while it's much easier for us to play Monday morning quarterback. I also think the players are responsible as well but let's start with Spalletti's changes. Of the six changes I would say three worked out fine, one was a little bit iffy and two did not work out at all. The three who worked out were Ostegard, Oliveira, and Politano. Now, we already talked about Ostegard and Oliveira, and for me, Politano and Lozano are interchangeable. They each have strengths and they each have weaknesses, but I'm never really upset when either of them starts. Sure, you can criticize Politano for maybe being a little bit too selfish, but I'm sure you can also find reasons to criticize Lozano when he plays. The player whose performance I'm iffy about is Giacomo Raspadori. Now I think he's been the best of the new players so far, he's working hard, he's fighting to win every ball, but at the same time you can see with him that the chemistry is not quite there yet. Some people have been suggesting Spalletti should have used Raspadori on the left wing instead of Elmas. I can appreciate that argument as that was one of the many positions Raspadori played in at Sassuolo. Judging by the last two matches, it's pretty clear to me though that Spalletti views Raspadori as a number 10. The players who did not work as well were Ndombele and Elmas. We talked a little bit about Ndombele already as well. He seemed a little bit off the pace and he conceded that penalty. You could see that he and Angisa were not on the same page, particularly moving off the ball. Sometimes they were moving too close to each other. When one of them had the ball, the other was not moving into the right space. And as a result, we often played the ball back to restart the buildup. Now that's something we will fix over time. I'm certainly not expecting Ndombele to walk into the squad and automatically have the same chemistry with Angisa that Lobotka has, but it did affect our attack. And then with Elmas, he starts so rarely that he is almost like a new player himself. Then when you add that he's playing with a new player behind him in Oliveira and the new player beside him in Raspadori, and you could see why they were just not clicking. Now he did score, so we have to give him credit for that, and with how Cavada played off the bench, it may not have mattered who we started on the left wing. So those were the changes, but as I said, 
I don't think it was entirely on Spalletti. I saw a lot of people saying that he shouldn't have gone away from the 4-3-3, but it's not like we played the 4-2-3-1 for the entire match. At halftime, Spalletti replaced Ndombele with Lobotka and Raspadori with Zielinski, which facilitated a change back to the 4-3-3. And then, in the 55th minute, he replaced Elmas with Cavada, so for 35 minutes, we played with basically the same front six that we used in the previous matches, and we still didn't score. Now, we did play a lot better in the second half, so I suppose you could argue that, had we played that way from the beginning, we might have scored more. I don't think Spalletti would even disagree with that, but he also has to balance that with the risk of causing injuries by overworking his players. Imagine he started Lobotka and Lobo got hurt, then everyone would be saying that he should have rested Lobotka. This was the second of seven matches that we will play over a three-week period before the September international break. You simply cannot play the same starting 11 match-in, match-out, when you're playing every three to four days. Those seven games, in order, are against Fiorentina, Lecce, Lazio, Liverpool, Spezia, Rangers, and Milan. If I'm Spalletti and I'm looking at that schedule, there are two games that I'm rotating in, Lecce and Spezia. Now again, maybe it would have been wiser to make three or four changes instead of six, but let's be honest, our very deep bench, even with new guys, should be able to beat Lecce, and we could have had we taken our chances. We didn't have as many clear-cut chances in this match as we did in the first two, but we had more than we had against Fiorentina. Falcone made a good save on Politano in the first half, and then Politano missed one of the best chances in the match in the second half. There was that Osiman chance at the second post. There was also the save by Falcone and Di Lorenzo in the second half, so we had our chances, we just didn't take them. The last thing I want to comment on is the criticisms of Spalletti for not bringing on Simeone sooner. Now, if you want to criticize him for not using Simeone instead of Lozano, for example, then I'd be fine with that. But there is a reason why he waited so long to make his fifth change, and that is because as a manager, you have to be mindful of the possibility of a player getting hurt. Because what you don't want to happen is what Gattuso did to Lozano against Juventus two seasons ago. Gattuso used all of his substitutions, then Lozano got hurt, and we had to play the final 10 or 15 minutes of that match with an injured player. And to make matters worse, Gattuso forced Lozano to play hurt and he ended up missing about a month with that hamstring injury. Now, you might say Spalletti was being too conservative. What are the chances of someone getting hurt in the final 20 minutes? Well, Gattuso probably said the same thing in that Juve match. And we had already seen Ostegard go off the pitch with an injury. And when that happens, even if the player continues, there is a much higher chance that he has to be taken out later in the match. So given the circumstances, I don't have an issue with Spalletti waiting so long to make that change. I also think managers will err on the side of caution earlier in the season than they would later in the season. This was only our fourth match, and I know people don't want to hear the cliche, but there really is a long way to go. We've already seen Juve and Lazio drop points to Sampdoria. Milan have dropped points in two matches, albeit against tougher opponents in Atalanta and Sassuolo, but for me, it is far too early to panic. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll review our latest Primavera match, which was played on Wednesday.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to part two of the Fort Sinopoli podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Betstamp. With the Betstamp app, you can compare betting lines across multiple different sportsbooks in your region, which is the only way to get an edge in online sports betting. You can also buy and sell picks from verified accounts, and best of all, the app is free. There are no fees, no royalties, and no commissions. Just download the Betstamp app and be sure to use the referral code NAPOLI when you create your account. Alright, we'll close the pod with a preview of our big match on Saturday against Lazio, and I'm joined by a guest to help me with that. He is one of the hosts of the excellent Cultural Connection podcast, Jerry Mancini. Welcome back. Ciao, Joe. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Obviously, we're bringing you on because you are a big Lazio fan. So let's get right into it, and I want to start with Lazio's summer mercato. This was the busiest Mercato for Lazio in a very long time, certainly as far as I can remember. And Lazio got a lot of work done early in the summer. How are you feeling about Lazio's summer? Best transfer market probably under the Claudio Lotito era that I recall. I know that we're looking more at the the technical side right now because for the game, but even on the aspect of the sales Getting rid of Marici, getting rid of Vavro was a success, and and two players who I didn't think they would be able to sell, and not lose a a fee on them and make something. But uh, the biggest addition has been Alessio Romagnoli from the transfer market, and he has provided leadership and stability in the back end, especially considering that the defense was the biggest issue last year for Lazio, and we conceded several poor goals at very late moments in matches. I mean, you can recall the one against Napoli last year. There was one against Milan. And he has so far shown some quality in the back end. Then you have Marcos Antonio in the midfield, who is a young midfielder who needs time to adapt under Sari, but does have a lot of skill in his game and has the ability to kind of grow into a more efficient midfielder. You add Gila on the back end, too, with Nicolo Casale. And there is some needed depth that has been needed for so many seasons with Lazio. You have Cancellieri, a very young forward who, sorry, has already given trust and has come off the bench in four straight games. 20-year-old that probably not many people had thought he would be able to get this kind of responsibility in the early goings of the season. And it's encouraging to see that Sari is devoted to playing younger players. This was an area of weakness under Simone Inzaghi. And hopefully this is something that kind of grows going forward with Sari. But overall, great transfer market where they addressed the back line. They provided some depth in the midfield. They also added Vecino. I know that one issue is they didn't get a number nine and a left back. 
I think that a lot of Lazio fans are forgetting that Stefan Radu, I thought, could be a serviceable left back still, even though he's up there in age. Last year, as the season progressed, he really found his form under Sari and kind of adapted as a left back, and he showed positive signs. Not having a backup striker team mobile could be a very big concern down the line. Maybe they're they're thinking because Immobile is not playing in the World Cup that they're not as concerned about this because he'll have two months off in order to rest when the break comes. So Cancelietti is the backup to him, it seems. So we'll see how that goes. I was very impressed with Lazio's Mercato. I think you got rid of a lot of guys who were up there in age like Acerbi, Pepe Reina, Lucas Leva, and guys who were clearly not living up to expectations, the obvious one being Badat Murici, you know, guys like Gonzalo Escalante, Jean-Daniel Akpa-Akpro, Luis Felipe, all these guys have been sent out the door. And then you brought in, as you said, a good mix of experience with guys like Romagnoli and Vecino. Romagnoli's still in his prime, but he has plenty of experience, but also a good mix of youth with the guys that you listed. There's also Luis Maximiano, the goalkeeper, who will compete with even Providel in goal. Providel seems to have the lead, but you know they're like five years apart in age. So if Providel becomes the starter, you have his successor already in the squad with Maximiano. You know, Marcus Antonio, Nicolo Casale from Hellas Verona, Gila, Cancellieri. These guys are all between 20 and 24 years old. So I think this was a really impressive, kind of underrated Mercato for Lazio. I don't, you know, a lot of people were talking about Napoli's Mercato with all the players we brought in, but I think uh, Lazio did a pretty solid job there. Let's talk about Lazio's form so far this season. The results have been a little bit up and down. You opened the season with a win over Bologna, then dropped points in a draw to Torino. You got a massive win over Inter at the weekend, but then gave up a stoppage time equalizer to Sampdoria on Wednesday. How are you feeling about Lazio's start to the season so far? I think the results don't show the true form of how Lazio has played in the first four games. I thought that in the first game, going down a man... First 10 minutes, Maximiano takes a red card and Lazio showed such good character to stay in the game down a man and produce better chances compared to Bologna who were up a man and they figured out a way to win the game late in the final stages, I think with 10 minutes left. Then they follow up with a performance. Uh, it was a mix feelings for fans where they thought that they were poor against Torino. Some thought that Lazio was good. I thought that it showed a team that was willing to play defense and try to be conservative against the Torino side who is well coached under Juric. And they had their chances in that game, but they weren't clinical enough. So it wasn't that they didn't do enough to score, but it was a well-balanced game from them where they weren't really exposed and Torino only had one shot in the game. Then you follow up against Inter and they dominated start to end. And it was probably one of the best performances I've seen under Sorry, where they just showed that kind of sorry ball they call, where the one-touch passing, the great movement, they defended well, and they got goalkeeping from Providel. That was another thing. And that, that has also been a contribution to their success in the early going. 
and then you follow up with a very disappointing draw versus Sondoria where they played well for 80 minutes and the last 10 minutes they just became too relaxed and they just let the game slip away and they think their win against Inter may have gotten to their head or maybe they were just becoming more conservative because of their upcoming match against Napoli on the weekend. I didn't like the way they kind of closed the game out. They weren't strong enough and it's disappointing because they had more chances before that that they didn't score. But the defensive play, the breakdown in the last three minutes of the game is not the full reason why they lost the game. So there's a lot of contribution factors. So overall, I think that the team has shown the willingness to adapt to what Sorry wants. And there has been a lot of um, balance within the squad. And I like the fact that he didn't do an overhaul like a a big shock to the squad and rotate nine guys. And all of a sudden you're putting all the new guys in the squad, because I think that that can really disrupt the continuity of what he's already built in one season. You're kind of seeing that the players are already getting that familiarity of what he wants after a year and now into their second season. So I think overall the season has started off well, but I'm pretty sure they would like to have all four wins, especially that Torino, they could have had a goal to win it, and they should have closed out Sampdoria, a team that probably had maybe two or three chances in the game. You know, obviously Napoli fans are familiar with Sadi Ball from his time at Napoli. Sadi had some interesting comments after the match. He actually thought it was one of Lazio's best matches, but then he also said that Sadi's Napoli would have been up 3-0 at the half, which I thought was an interesting comment. You know, both teams come into this match with two wins and two draws, and both are coming off of disappointing results midweek. You mentioned the last-minute goal that Lazio gave up to Sampdoria. Napoli were not very good against Lecce, so both of them will be looking to get back into the win column. As you said, Sadi didn't rotate a whole lot for that Sampdoria match. Do you think he'll play a similar lineup again for Napoli, or are you expecting some changes? I look like this. Why would you rotate your whole squad so early when you're not playing in European competition yet? I think that you, if they're already tired after three games, there's an issue with the form and the athleticism, I guess, if you want to say, of the players and the conditioning. Like You shouldn't be three, four games into the season and you're ready having concerns of having to take players out, they need games off. I think that's where it becomes more tricky when you have to play a midweek game on a Thursday. You got to worry about Europa League slash Champions League and you have a next game. I think that with Sorry, he wants to play his starting 11, try to build, like I was saying earlier, the continuity, the balance into his squad. I don't think he wants to, to do a big overhaul. And I think another thing is, like, he, he was asked, why did they bring on Gila instead of Casale on Wednesday? And he said that Casale is not at the level yet of where he wants him to be in his squad. And I think that's another issue right now. It's like Marcos Antonio hasn't started a game yet. These are guys who are still trying to get a grasp of adapting to a new system, a new philosophy compared to, like, Casale played at Verona and you have... Marcus Antonio, who played with Shakhtar, and there's two different systems. So for me, I think that there'll be limited changes to the squad. It'll probably be similar to yesterday's, if anything. For anyone who maybe didn't watch 
Lazio's game against Sampdoria, who was the starting 11? So all starting goal. I skipped this part in the actual transfer market for them. Lazio signed Providel and Maximiano. And for any Lazio fans who are actually listening to this as well, they're concerned that because Maximiano had a red card in the first game, that he's been phased out by Sorry, I don't think that's the concern here. I think that he just showed that the inexperience of a young goalkeeper, I think that Sorry is maybe taking a, a very safe approach with him before he brings it back in. I think that he will get more looks. I don't think he's just going to take him out just like that. And that's why what I was saying before, Europa League is when he'll you'll start to see him play again. Providel's yeah, been pretty good in goal anyway, so why, like, why wouldn't you play him if he's playing well? Well, I think Providel was the number one guy that Sarri wanted from the beginning and that Maximiano just happened because of Ganada's uh, situation that they had to sell their players because they were relegated. So they took a, an advantage on a, on a young goalkeeper. In the back end, you should have Matisic start at left back, Lazzari at right back, Romagnoli, I read today, there's no concerns. I know that he left early in the game against Sampdoria. It was more of a precautionary. He's expected to be ready for Saturday, and he should be playing alongside Patrick, who has really, really improved under Sarri. Probably the most improved player at midfield. I'm going to say that the guarantee is Savage. I'm going to go with Luis Alberto because he has really really improved under Sarri and has shown the ability to play a defensive game but also contributing the attack. So I see him playing. And you're going to have Cataldi because Cataldi has shown right now that he is the only guy who can play as a regista or close to it for what they have. Marcos Antonio in the last 20 minutes just shows that he still needs time to adapt. And then up front... Felipe Anderson is a question mark because he had a big cut in the back of his heel, but it sounds as if he's expected to start on Saturday from what I've heard. And uh, from Radio Sai, it will be Zakani at left wing, Felipe Anderson at right wing, and Chido Immobile starting at the number nine. So that's the, the starting lineup I have for Lazio. Okay, I mean, even if Felipe Anderson can't play the full match, it seems like Pedro's getting closer and closer to full fitness, so there's probably an option there either way. I'll jump on that. I also read that they're going to manage his minutes because he's still not 100%, so I see him coming off the bench, if anything. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, before you mentioned how it makes sense for Sadi to play a similar squad because it's the start of the season, so why bother rotating? I think a lot of Napoli fans are asking themselves that question right now because unlike Sadi, Spalletti made a lot of changes for the Lecce match. Too many, you could say. So I'm expecting him to go back to the starting lineup that we played in the first few games of the season, maybe with a change here or there. I think he'll go back to the 4-3-3 with Alex Meret in goal. Kim Min-jae and Amir Rachmani should start at center back. I think there's a slight possibility that Juan Jesus starts over Kim just to give Kim a rest, but I think most likely we'll see Kim and Rachmani back together. I think Mario Rui will return at left back and Giovanni Di Lorenzo will play at right back. Stanislav Lobotka will play as the Regista with Piotr Zelinski to his left. The position I'm really unsure about, though, is who will be the other midfielder in that midfield three, just because 
And Gisa clocked a lot of minutes in the last few days. He played the full 90 minutes in a very intense match against Fiorentina. And then he played the full 90 again, or close to the full 90, I think, in the draw to Lecce. But the problem is, clearly Ndombele is not ready to go yet. He struggled mightily against Lecce. Maybe, I have a feeling we're going to see Ali Felmas in that role. But it's quite possible that Ngisa just plays again. And then up top, we'll have Javicha Quaresgelia on the left, Chuki Lozano on the right, and Victor Osimen at striker. All right, let's close the pod with some predictions. How do you see this match ending? It's funny about you say Elmas. He really dominated Lazio in the last fixture at the Stadio Olimpico, if you recall, that he changed the game when he came off the bench. I remember that Spalletti made a few substitutions that really changed the course of the match. And and I think that might come down to what really determines this game. So as I said before, Alberto starts, but at the same time, I wouldn't mind if he started on the bench and he comes off the bench in the second half because he can alter the game and change the course. And he offers a different dimension. It's going to be a very tight game. I think that you do bring a lot of good points. And Gisa, I think that's where I'm appreciative of what Sergei Milinkovic Savage is able to do where he has played in every single game for Lazio, basically. He started off very slow and looked really tired. But now into this fourth game, he looks even better than when he was in the first game. So it's really funny how you said that maybe he's overplayed in Gisa, but it's the opposite for Savage where he's played more and looks better. So maybe that works for some players, but um, I'm going to go with a 2-2 tie here. I think that we're going to see a lot of goals in this game, and it's going to be a very exciting atmosphere. The one thing I say that if Lazio does win this game, I don't think they will. I think it's going to be a tie because it seems as if Napoli always has her number, but the fans at the Stadio Olimpico after the first two games have played a very significant role. I thought they played a major impact against Inter and really gave them an extra boost in their game where they looked more confident than I would expect it. When you have 50,000 fans in attendance, I think that kind of helps in several ways. That's something that they didn't have last year was the fan support. There's a lot of factors to that, but... Even against Bologna on the season opener, it contributed to their win. So I think that that's something that can be undermined and has to be really taken serious because Lazio is a type of team who really feeds off the crowd. And when they play as a, on the road as a visitor, they go quiet a lot. So I think that can prove to be a, a very big difference maker on Saturday. But I'll go as a 2-2 tie. Okay. You know, I might actually take that because I hope I'm wrong, but I'm actually going to go with a 2-1 Lazio win, which is not something I predict often for Napoli to lose. But I look at Napoli over the last few matches, and after we scored nine goals in the first two, we've only scored one in the last two, and we've created very little in the attack, which is more concerning. It would be one thing if we were creating a lot of chances and just not converting them, but we're not creating a whole lot of chances to begin with. And Lazio have looked very good at the back. So I'm a little bit worried about whether Napoli are going to be able to score in this match. As you said, Patrick looks like a whole new player this year under Sadi. I don't know what Sadi has done, but 
He's been really, really good for Lazio. I thought Lazio played really well against Inter. It was a match where I felt like Lazio won that match as opposed to Inter losing it. It wasn't like Inter played bad, but Lazio were just better. And it was another home match. And if Lazio play like that again, I can't see Napoli walking away with all three points. At best, I see us getting a draw. If you check your BetStamp app, you can find the best odds in your region. For me, you can get Lazio on the money line at plus 195 at CoolBet, and you can get the over two and a half goals also at CoolBet for minus 130. Jerry, that's all we have time for today. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up? No, I think it's going to be an exciting game on Saturday, and I I just don't think this is going to be a blowout either. Anybody who thinks it's going to be like last year where Lazio got pumped for nothing, when it's at the Maradona, I think that Napoli's got the edge all the time. There's just something about playing in that stadium where it makes it very difficult to play against Napoli. But at the Stadio Olimpico, I, I always have faith in my team. So it's, it's going to be tough. I'm just curious to see how the two things that, that really stand out to me is how does Victor Osman play in this game? Like, I think that he's the key to Napoli's offense. If he doesn't get going, the team doesn't get going. I kind of notice. And then secondly, I'm I'm intrigued to see how Kim Min Jae plays against now Immobile. This is going to be a very good test, and I think that this can, I think it's going to be a good test one on one because of the physicality of Kim Jae and and I think that I think you'll have the upper hand on Cheeto. I think that Lazio will have to get scoring from other players. I think that he will nullify him, and that it will have to be guys like Felipe Anderson or. Sakani will now need to step up or Luis Alberto or, or somebody because when you play man-to-man on Cheeto, he struggles a lot. I noticed that. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting. I think with Osimen, it comes down to me to the service that he gets. And in tight matches, he tends to struggle because both teams tighten up. They defend. There's not a lot of space. He really excels in open matches. So if we get an early goal and this match opens up, then I think Victor becomes a, a bit more of a threat. That is where we'll leave it. You can find Jerry on Twitter at jmancini8. You can find me on Twitter at joe underscore fisketti 5 And you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Fortsanopoly Pod. I will be back next week to review this match and to preview the next one, which is our big return to the Champions League. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli Sempre. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.